This is The Conversation. I'm Bill Dorman in today for Catherine Cruz. It was 17 days ago that fires swept through West Maui, burning Lahaina to the ground while a separate fire burned up country. Grief lingers. There's also an acute housing crisis, a continuing water emergency, and people filing lawsuits, as well as some early discussion of what may come next. In the midst of all of this, the University of Hawaii's Economic Research Organization is working on an analysis of the impact of the fires on Maui. Carl Bonham helped found that group in 1997, and his voice has been an important part of the grounding of government policy ever since, from the Council on Revenues to informal consultations with government leaders at various levels. He says Uhiro's study is still underway. The report will likely be out within a few weeks, and it will go far beyond numbers. It won't be about just economics, and it will you know, focus on everything from the fact that we've lost schools and you know, children don't have a place to go to school and the, the mental health of, of people who've been through this incredible trauma, right? And, and the environmental disaster that is, is in front of us right now and the long-term implications of fire risk and things like that. Uh, and you know, the list of things that you have to consider is so long that it, it really feels somewhat overwhelming. Uh, the, on the purely economic side, some of it is just simple math. So we know that since the fire, uh, there have been an average of 1,500 people landing in Maui each day, approximately. So we're talking about visitors coming into Maui, and it's not just visitors. These passenger count numbers include right. emergency workers and everything. So it's, it's and, and roughly the the normal level well, is. Well, so uh, that's where I was going was that um, you're we're at about 25 percent of normal right now. Right. So we've so typically so if you look at the last year, the average number of visitors uh, on Maui on any given day was about 65,000. Visitors, uh, and we're we're probably at about twenty percent of that right now, right? And so, you know, you've lost just immediately. We're talking something like fifteen million dollars of spending a day. Fair to say that Maui is the most dependent on tourism of all the islands. Yes, yeah. Kauai would be a close second, and but Maui is it, yes. So, you know, you've seen people throwing around numbers like 70, 80% of their economy is tourism. That's too, that's too much. Right. Um, I, I'm not sure that I've seen the sort of careful accounting done, uh, but I would say we're probably talking about more like 40 to 50% of their economy, which is clearly an enormous uh, impact. Very big number and yes. very big number in terms of, of jobs. Yes. Yeah. When you count jobs, it it is over forty. Or, you know, it's 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 not forty percent. It's in the 50, 60, 70 percent range. Is there a way that federal funding can be a stopgap measure? Can get to the people who need it? Can take the place of some of that employment on a short, medium term basis? So the short answer is yes, but it's not complete, right? Yes. It's so we're not. It's it's not like we it, we were in the pandemic where. Uh, the federal aid was really intended to make everyone whole. Right. Right. I mean, there was the the 
extended unemployment benefits, the enhanced unemployment benefits to where people were, were in, in some cases, people were taking home more in unemployment benefits than they earned working, right? And, and that really went to just about everybody. And, you know, the, the point was we shut the economy down. You know, we want there to be something here when we reopen and we want people to be there and businesses to be there. So the, the money flowed. With a disaster, the money flows really directly to uh, those impacted. So if because of this disaster and this loss of life, uh, we have temporarily lost three, four hundred million a month now in spending. Uh, and that's not just, you know, supporting those jobs of the people who lost them in Lahaina. That's right. the whole island. And those other folks aren't going to get disaster relief, right? So they, they could claim unemployment benefits, but the unemployment benefits have a short lifespan. And in many cases, they don't, you know, they're not, it's not full replacement. So if you're, if you're working days in a restaurant and nights bartending in you know, in Kihei or, or wherever, right. and you lose your job or your hours get cut back, uh, the disaster, the FEMA money isn't going to help you. So how is there a way, because the entire island is impacted, to economically get aid funding of some way to the rest of the island as well? Bringing the visitors back is the fastest way to do that, right? The faster you can get visitors back to Kihei, back to Wailea, then you don't need the aid, right? right? Those people still have their jobs and you, and, and you can focus on the, those di just 100% directly impacted by the fires, right? We can focus on getting housing for them. And you know, the, the government, there will be government aid for people who lose it. There will be unemployment benefits. Right. And that's what that's what it's intended for. And it, they should last long enough for us to begin to see that visitor spending come back. And, and there, you know, there's going to have to be a concerted marketing campaign uh, to let people know that it is okay to come back to South Maui, for example. We'll be back with more of our interview with Carl Bonham, Executive Director of the University of Hawaii's Economic Research Organization, including why he's hopeful about Maui's future. Support for HPR comes from Osher Lifelong Learning Institute for ages 50 and older with courses designed to engage the mind and enrich lives. Virtual Open House Sunday, August 27th. More by searching O-L-L-I-U-H-M. This is The Conversation. We spoke late yesterday with Carl Bonham, executive director of the University of Hawaii's Economic Research Organization. Uhiro is working on an analysis and outlook for the entire island of Maui following the wildfires. I asked if he had any recommendations for policymakers. What is your advice at this point to government folks? The way that I'm thinking about this is it, it's primarily about dealing with the housing crisis that already existed. Right, Maui 
was ground zero for the housing crisis. And there are projects that are under review that are, they may be tied up in the courts, They're, they may be awaiting permits, various decision levels. Those projects need to move because rebuilding housing in Lahaina, I don't know how soon that will start. It might not start for two years. I mean, you f they first have to deal with the environmental disaster, right? Mm -hmm. So that has to be cleaned. Mm -hmm. And it could easily take a year to hopefully not longer than that. So that means that the housing solution for the, the, the houseless residents of former residents of Lahaina, uh, for the near term, they have to come from somewhere else. And you really don't want them to be hotel rooms and you, and you don't even want them to be former short-term vacation rentals. And so, I mean, my number one is one, some short-term housing. So the container, I think the containerized housing is great. I don't know if it's, if it's all coordinated right now, it seems kind of like, you know, everybody's trying to help, which is wonderful. Um, I could imagine, and the conversations I'm having is we, we need centralized uh, communities, right? It, it's almost like a Kauhale, but it's it, hopefully a, even a little bit more than that, where you have temporary housing and services, right? Wrap, because you wrap need around services. Absolutely, that, you, yes. you've got to have mental health. You've, you mm. need childcare. Yes. You need it's got to have transportation, yes. right? If you're if you're at hotels, I, I know that they're not they're not staying in hotels all over the island. But the more dispersed you are, there's there, no cars either. That very item right now, in terms of uh, I've heard complaints on Maui that you know you're set up with the long conference tables in Kihei, and we can't get there. It's not yep. you can't assume that, and and the pictures of the the cars burned and all of the yeah. rest. It, the cars, right? All of that has to be disposed of. Yeah. Right. And that also the fact this this cleanup, because it's going to take an extended period of time, I think also gives you the opportunity to do have the community conversations that are going to have to happen to think through what La, what the reborn, rebuilt Lahaina is going to to be liked as the way the community wants it. In the meantime, you want some temporary housing with all these services, with transportation to get people to work and to get them to school and so on, uh, help with the healing process. But then at the same time, you really need to put a green light in front of anything that looks anything like housing for Maui. If you don't get people into sort of real housing and they have a job opportunity on the Big Island or on Oahu or, okay, Vegas, um, they're they, gonna go. they might not be here six months from now, yeah. particularly if they're in the meantime, they're, they're having, living out of a hotel room. How do you see Maui medium longer term? I mean, I think there, there's good reason for hope. Um, maybe even optimism uh, about the long term. Mm. You know, I think, um, you, you know, when you ask me about what should we think about the future of Maui, I, I think there's a, there's a real risk, particularly when, you know, if you just opened up your newspapers and turn on your radios or go on social media, <laughs> uh, you, you know, you, you might very easily think that 
you know, where we are right now is sort of the new normal in terms of, right, because you see, see reporting of people getting laid off and, you know, there's no visitors on Maui, there's no spending, there's no jobs, but that's, you know, that's not where we're going to stay. That's just the immediate imp impact and we will recover from this. I have little doubt that we will recover and we can, you know, we can choose that path as a community. And I, so I'm, optimistic that that will happen. Carl Bonham, executive director of the University of Hawaii's Economic Research Organization with thoughts on the future of Maui. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Anchor Systems Hawaii. This week on Science Friday, remember that viral news story about a sea otter stealing surfboards? We'll get the backstory on this rogue otter and a deep dive into otter facts and fiction. Plus, go time traveling to hear how scientists piece together clues about the past. That's on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Beginning this afternoon at 1. Ukulele virtuoso Taimane plays tonight, performing at the Hawaii Theater. She'll be showcasing a visual production featuring her Na Hoku Hano Hano winning album Hawaiiki. The Conversations Lillian Song sat down with her in our studios. She reflected on the strength of community and shared the healing power of music. The last time we saw you, Hawaiiki had just come out. And since we talked to you, you picked up some nice hardware. Three <laughs> Nahoku Hanohano Awards, one being Favorite Entertainer of the Year. And that is voted by the audience. Yes. That one's absolutely dedicated to the fans because that was by public vote. So thank you to everyone who made the time to vote. Thank you. Also winning Instrumental Album of the Year and the fun track Pipeline's Daughter, Instrumental Composition of the Year as mm -hmm. well. All from the album Hawaiiki. And that's what you're sharing with audiences at the Hawaii Theater. Yes. And this album is very special to me. It was dedicated to my late mother who passed very suddenly in 2018, and she was from Samoa. So this album, just what an honor to also have the Nahokus really recognize that. And it was very special to win that. That was for mom. Yeah. So it's a special show, and I've worked so hard on it. And I always like to say to people, if you've always wanted to see me live or you're an avid fan, this is the show. It means a lot. I'm bringing saying. it. From mom and the family, yes. It's also a space where we as the audience are there to see you as well as to partake in that collective experience. Engage with our favorite artists, the music, but also with each other. That energy that you get from a live performance. Yes. It is a symbiotic relationship, I think, for us artists to connect with the audience. You guys are 50% of the show. We, you know, we can't play alone, so please come. 
We have in-person tickets, low ticket alert though, and also very proud to offer live stream tickets and 100% of the profits are going to the Maui Strong Fund to help the, the people of Maui. And so, you know, you guys can help and support by watching the show on the live stream, which will be available on hawaiitheater.com or my website. Let's tap back to your time at home, mm. Maui for you. Yes. That's part of your backyard. I'm sure you've done the Mac many times. Yes, absolutely. I've played many places in Maui, uh, the Mac, also the Kapalua area. I've played there often as well, as well as Wailea. And so it is very heartbreaking to see. I, th- I feel like all of Hawaii is kind of mourning for Maui and, and what we are seeing, you know, our people have to go through. I honestly think we're all a little bit traumatized mm-hmm. and we're having to find ways to heal and also find our power. What is our talent and how can we help and how can we tap into that? So, mm-hmm. Find your mana. Mm-hmm. So for our listeners today with you here in studio... I'd like to open up the mic and just have you play something. You know, music is healing. Music is something we all interact in our unique ways. And with mm-hmm. you here today, I'd just like to have you with your special voice sure. share something with us on the conversation. Yeah, so I brought my ukulele and I would love to do that. And we'll just see what comes out.
rising from the ashes. Just created just now. Felt it on the spot. And yeah. That's the beauty of being an artist, that you have that within you to, to really just let it flow. And that is so seamless. Mm-hmm. You practice so much. Yeah, yeah. All that practice really does come in handy. And so I can kind of connect more to the emotion and to the images in my head. So I kind of just created the visuals, you know, the devastation of what has happened so far, and then hopefully feel like they can rise from these ashes and we can all rise from the ashes mm-hmm. and, and have that hope. Yes. Gorgeous, Taimane. Thank you. As somebody who's creating music, how do these melodies come to you? Is it quick inspiration or more methodical? It's been a different process, especially this album. I decided to come up with a melody that was loosely translated in my head and then went to Pierre and kind of actually put it down and, and fleshed it out, which is very different from how I used to of practicing the song a hundred times and then going into the studio. So I really created it with Pierre Grill at Rendezvous Recording it back in Manoa. I love that place. Creating this album. And I looked at it, I guess, a more mature way, if you would say. Yes, I I can shred, which I love and people love, but I wanted to create music that was just easy to listen to, fun to listen to, rather than basing it on technique. It was more of like, does this sound good? So it was a different way of approaching it. Mm -hmm. Your actual voice is also emerging. Yes, I feel a little bit more in touch with my voice. It's been a, a challenge to feel comfortable because the voice is such a personal instrument too. And I did all of my work on my ukulele, so it kind of took me a while to find my confidence with my voice. What really helped with that was actually touring, just doing the same thing every night, singing every night, and that kind of helped me to find my voice. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Wonderful. And on that note, as we get set to say goodbye, why don't you play us out with something from the album? Okay, sure. So this song is called Bora Bora Sunset, and it's just a little snippet so you guys come to the show. I'll see you guys Friday.
Taimane with HBR's Lillian Song. Tonight's concert, Hawaiiki, a musical and theatrical odyssey at the Hawaii Theater, begins at 7.30. 100% of the profits will go to the Hawaii Community Foundation's Maui Strong Fund. We'll share links on the conversation page of our website at hawaiipublicradio.org later today. Support for HPR comes from Mobi, a Hawaii wireless company serving the island since 2005, committed to providing personal service to each customer, featuring a locally-based customer care team. Learn more at Mobi.com. Tomorrow, HPR presents The Moth. This in-person event is part of HPR's Indie 808 Performance Series. Experience this exclusive set at our Atherton studio in Honolulu. Purchase your tickets online at hprtickets.org. Sponsored by Farm Lovers Markets. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. Turning to Kauai, author Chris Cook has a new book out titled Kauai, A History. The University of Hawaii graduate and former Garden Island newspaper editor has written several books about the island. He's also a longtime resident of Kauai. He says he first visited the islands in the 1970s and was immediately drawn to the Garden Isle. The conversation is Russell Subiono got the chance to talk to Cook about his book. I know you've been writing about Kauai for years now. You know, while you were doing your research for this book, did you come across anything that you learned for the first time or anything that people living outside of Kauai might be surprised to know about the island? Well, I worked with Ed Justice. He's the owner of the Talk Story Bookstore in Hanapepe. And we sat down and talked about, okay, what what do visitors and local residents want to know about the island? You know, what are the top items they want to know about? So we focused on, I drew about 10 town histories of um, the major sound, Princeville, Hanalei, Kilauea, Lihui, Hanapepe, Waimea, Kaloa. And I found, you know, new material about some of the towns I didn't know about. Especially Hanapepe is really interesting because in the old days, Hanapepe was was Hanapepe versus Lihui about who was going to be the island capital. And after early territorial days, George Norton Wilcox, the founder of Yokoro Farm Plantation, put money in and got the federal government to agree to make a big breakwater at Nawili Willy. So Lahui sort of won the battle. And earlier than that, Hanapepe had Port Allen and there was a good chance that was going to be the capital. So that was that was interesting. That's one thing. The Hawaii State Archives now have uh, thousands of historic photos open to the public you can download. And I found a, a treasure trove of new new uh, Hawaii pictures on there. I advise anybody friendly to the islands, look up your island or your town on the, in the Hawaii State Archives website. So I found some new images of Princeville, which tell the story much clearer, because the, the town actually used to be along the on the uh, sort of the Princeville side of the banks of the Hanalei River. So I dug up more information about that. I'm trying to think what else came up. Oh, more about King Kamuli'i. Alifa Kaoi, she's my kapuna. She's a lifelong resident, 92 years old, lifelong resident of Waimea. 
and a descendant of Kamali'i. And she led the effort in erecting a statue, a bronze statue, about eight foot tall, that's now at the Russian fort on Kauai. I've learned a lot more about him, about his life on Kauai and after Kauai, too. Sort of my specialty is the missionary monarchy era of Hawaii. I've written some books about, about Henry Obukaia, the first Native Hawaiian Christian. And I've been going back to New England a lot. And I always, I always find things about Kauai in New England. There's a lot of things still buried there in the archives. And most recently about Hume Hume, King Kamali'i's son that came back with the first missionary company. He wasn't a Christian, but they brought him back to return to his father. And that's, that's quite a story. Yeah, so what's interesting is last spring I worshipped the Wyola Church in Lahaina on their bicentennial, and Kamali is, remains is at is buried at the Wyola Church in Lahaina. So I'm not sure what happened to his tomb there. It's right next to Keopuolani, and it's right outside the walls of the church. So it's an interesting story why he was buried there, not on Kauai, too. So that's, that's something else new I found. For having such a a historical presence on Kauai. Yeah, that is very interesting that he was buried on another island. Yeah, he sort of made a pact with Keopuolani to be buried together. Yeah. They, they, they lived in Waikiki, down towards Kalmana Beach, that area, back in the uh, 1823 before she moved over to Lahaina. And she led the second missionary company over to Lahaina and helped them establish their mission station there. So that's a kind of like detail. It takes it takes a long time, and you know you see this little detail, and you have to know the background of the history because there's it's like three different angles of different stories, and it's like a jigsaw piece, and that fits in there. And then oh, then you see what the puzzle is. You know, when you look at the history of our state, there seems to be like a handful of historical events that kind of impacted most people across the board. Things like Captain Cook's arrival, the Great Mahele disease, you know, the overthrow, plantations, and, you know, war and tourism. Those are just a handful of things, I think, that have touched just about everybody on every island over the course of, right. of, of our state history. Is there anything in Kauai's history that seemed to impact Kauai people more than people in the rest of the state? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so the um, yeah, we had an overthrow over here in 1824. Humi Humi actually got involved with some of the elite on Kauai, and they attacked the uh, Pa'ula'ula, Ula, which is the correct name for what used to be called the Russian fort. And then, oh, I guess about a thousand soldiers came over from Maui and Oahu, and had a battle in, um, in the heights above uh, Wahiava, where the Kauai coffee is. And sort of Humi Humi organized a ragtag army. And they were literally slaughtered up there. And that was the end of the Kauai Kingdom. So that was the overthrow of the Kauai Kingdom. Because we're the Leeward Islands, and Kauai was a separate kingdom because of the you know the, the wide channel. And that's reflected, too, in the, the Niihauan people. They still speak a, sort of a Marquesan dialect, the Tees. And somehow I think the channel has kept the identity of Kauai separate from the other islands, almost like Canada and the United States. So this battle, it put the lands of Kauai into the hands of the Kamehamehas, and then Every Ahupua, every you know valley around the island, eventually was sold by the Kamehamehas to outsiders or to plantation owners and so forth. And only Hyena was preserved by the Hawaiian people. They they had shares in that, and the native Hawaiian people held on to that. So that's sort of something people don't know too much about. I remember as a reporter being at a school fair, and they had the ladies that wrote the textbook for the history of Hawaii for the schools, and I asked them about the overthrow. And they said, oh, yeah, we have it in there. And I said, the 1820 overthrow? And they looked at me with blank stares. They didn't know anything about it. 
and that directly affected all the islands because it united completely the islands. Even though Kamuli'i in 1810 had made a pact with Kamehameha, the battle in 1824, I think one of the most unknown things that affected all the islands is it brought the kingdom of Hawaii together, all the islands, once and forever. I've heard some stories that Kamehameha is not as revered on Kauai as he is in, in the rest of the state. Yeah, so you know this Kamuli'i Highway, right? I'm right. Like, uh, can I come in? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was interesting. You know, he listed ten items why he wanted Kauai. Like Kamuli'i, he was a surfer, and one of the surf breaks at Wailua was on his list of why he wanted to conquer Kauai. And he, you know, he was he was held back twice. One time out of Waianae, his fleet got hit a storm in the channel and had to come back. And then the second time, 1805, an epidemic of probably cholera. He was gathered over by Kaneohe to attack Kauai, and that was the end of that invasion. So in his lifetime, it was only diplomatically united. Yeah, never conquered. Right, right. Um, but that's yeah, it's sort of little known that, especially the land sales, it was sort of absentee landlord land sales of Kauai that really changed the, you know, opened the door to, to the sugar plantations and so forth to come over here. And Niihau, the island of Niihau, the sale of Niihau, that's a good example. Chris, thanks so much for your time. Can you tell our listeners where they can get your book? Yeah, Mutual Publishing is distributing it, so it'll be on Amazon and through Mutual Publishing and Kaimuki, their website. And I believe it'll be, it'll be distributed to bookstores across the state, Barnes & Noble and Amea, Hawaii, on Kauai at Bookstore at Talk Story. And I have 50 photographs in it, too, which I... We tried to select ones that people haven't seen before, not the you know the standard pictures of Kauai. So hopefully they'll be um, entertained and informed by the by the photographs. Chris, thanks so much for your time today. Hey, that was great. Thank you very much. Author Chris Cook talking with HBR's Russell Subiono. Cook's new book, Kauai: A History, is available through Mutual Publishing. That's the program for this week. The conversation is produced by Russell Subiona, Lillian Song, and Stephanie Hahn. The Backyard Quiz theme was written for us by John DeMello, and our theme music is courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Bill Dorman. Catherine Cruz returns Monday to pick up the conversation. Aloha. Aloha.